welcome to the Alternative to Rehab podcast with your host, Dave Cooper. I'm going to present an interview in this session that I've done with a client who I've been working with for about two years. And I think it's important to talk about that two years initially because you will hear in the interview a certain level of expertise, a certain level of progress, a certain level of understanding that certainly doesn't come overnight. Having said that, I don't want to give the impression that this has been two years of intensive therapy. It certainly hasn't. There is an intensive period at first that's necessary of a month or two, but then it levels out um, and really then it's about developing uh, people's potential and so on. I always say that my work is really 50% therapy and 50% life coaching. And for me, that's one of the most exciting parts because we don't think of recovery in a medical way. In other words, recovery to me isn't a restoration of what you had before. It's about becoming your true and authentic self. And that means realizing your potential. And that's, as I say, that's a very exciting part of the work for me. And that's where this client is at now. So we're gonna be talking about what, what it's like, what it was like for him to approach this work and, and to find something different and how it affected him and so on. And so anyone who's interested in considering this approach, I think it's really useful to listen and to hear what it's like to, in a sense, come out the other side and to say, well, I've really got what I was looking for in this approach. So here it is. I hope you enjoy it and I hope you get a lot from it. So I want to say thank you for doing this. It's great to have this opportunity to talk about what we've been doing, what, what's happened. And uh, it's very interesting to me that you, you've done some filming recently with, for a client, with a client of your own. And uh, it became an interesting moment to look at what part of you was triggered and what. So let me first of all check out, is there any of that happening now? How are you feeling sitting with the thing recording? I think, I was thinking about this on the way down, to be honest, <laughs> but um, a little bit nervous, I think, but n nothing nothing like um, it was for that filming. I think being in being a, a very small room with, uh, you know, lots of cameras and lights and then people stood behind the cameras is uh, um, daunting for anyone, really. It, but it, it really is. It really is. And... Is there something about the idea of being seen rather than just being heard? It must be. It must be because I, I do feel like a little bit of nerves, but I think it's... I feel like a little bit of nerves now, but I feel like this is quite yeah. proportional to the, you know, to the moment, whereas that was very, um, you know, disproportionate. But I think it was a... You can always tell when it's more yeah, of a proportion. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I think it was also people that I didn't know as well. I'd never met the, the uh, filming crew that um, we had on that day. So right. I think that was part of it. You know, that was definitely... Whereas we've been, I mean, uh, did we go back, is it a couple of years now? It'll be... Um, it was December... What will it be? December 21, I think. Uh, yeah, I think so. And yeah. You know, because I never want to 
hide or conceal the idea that this can be a long process. You mm. know, this is not a quick fix. No. As you will know very well now. <laughs> yep. Right? So there was also something, for me at least, I, I felt there was something about who it is that's doing the watching. Yeah. Yeah, 100%. I think um, in other situations similar to this, I think there's always a... Um, a thought about me being judged um, by a certain type of person. Um, yes. And it's becoming, you know, more and more obvious. The more more times um, these situations arise, and it's it's not always obvious that the situations are, are the same because right. to, you know, um, right. on the outside the situations look completely different, but really deep down it's uh, it always comes back to that um, same thing of being no, watched and judged yeah yeah no i get that it's and i think this is partly getting into what neuroscience has taught us you know that it, the common denominator is not always obvious yeah it looks like a very different situation like uh, whether we're at a table and a waiter's asking us a question and you think other people are listening, whether maybe you know your boss is going to watch your film that you you know you're making uh it, finding out the common denominator to that, where is the thread, where is the part concerned mm -hmm. that says, hang on, I need to take over, you know, the intervention, mm -hmm. that is, to me, that's a fascinating part of the work. It is fascinating, and it's it's probably been um, a, a very difficult part of the whole process. I uh, think for everybody it is. Yeah, and, you know? until, until you get there, it just, you know, you, it's like you know it's there, but until you've kind of uncovered it, it is. It's you know, it, it's it is difficult and can be quite frustrating at times. Yes. But yes, well, it's one of the things that, as we talk more about what's different about this approach, uh, it's definitely one of the things that is you know it's not easy to grasp this idea that it we're explorers rather than detectives. Mm. We don't have to get it right. You don't have to know every last thing or uh, get everything spot on. It's really more about what message you're giving your brain. So maybe you talk something about um, going back before we met. Mm -hmm. And as much as you want to talk about your struggle, uh, how it developed, how you understood it, what you tried, say as much as you like about that. So my problem kind of came in in waves, really. Um, I kind of tried, tried, you know, um, drugs at a certain age. For the first time, I think I started with with cannabis, um, probably around the age of like 15, 16. It's probably a similar story for everyone, um, but and then. I mean, I think I, I, even at that point, I, I didn't think it at the time, or I didn't know at the time, but looking back now, I think I had a problem with that at quite an early age, because it was, you know, I'd definitely use that to escape. Uh, me and a mate would just um, kind of avoid all responsibilities and just stay up until, um, yeah. God knows what hour in the yeah. morning, just playing video games and, and basically escaping escaping life. Those were the days. I yeah. mean, it, you know, if it only worked, right? Mm -hmm. If it only worked as well as it appears to work at first, mm -hmm. for people like us, it is absolutely the magic, 
stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Yes. But what what makes you say that you think it was a problem back then? Well, now looking back, you know, I, I thought it was just um, it was just a bit of fun, and it was just kind of because we were, you know, we were bored. I kind of lived in an area that wasn't there wasn't that much going on, quite a rural rural area. Uh, and I kind of always use that as as an excuse for it, but I think um, now with all the information I've I've got now looking back, I definitely think that's kind of where it all where it all started. And then it maybe wasn't as obvious to me then because I did stop. Um, I did manage to kind of really bring down my cannabis use, and I thought, oh, obviously that's not a problem anymore but I think what then happened is I then moved on to the the next thing um so the actual underlying problem was was always there and I think I think it wasn't obviously it wasn't anywhere near as, as bad as it had been for the past couple of years and so what sort of age you were talking about now? so I was probably using cannabis on like a daily basis um Definitely for a good few years, between the ages of like 16 to 18, uh, before I went to university. Uh, Daily? Yeah. So, yeah. were you working? Were you, were you getting money from... Yeah, I was working. So, I was at college. Hmm. Uh, I went to college from the, the age of 16 to 18. So, um, you know, a lot of people um, at my college especially uh, smoked a lot of cannabis. And obviously, I, I come home as well. And at home, I, my, my mate was, you know, he had a, a probably a bigger problem than me with it. He would, uh, um, you know, he, he was. I, I think the difference was he enjoyed it. He really well at the time. He believed he enjoyed it. But even now, like I don't ever remember actually enjoying the feeling of, of being stoned. Weirdly. Uh, which is quite interesting to think back about but so then I, I, when I went to university I was I was still uh, using cannabis as well but I then tried my first what I'd probably call like harder drug um, which was I think it was actually MDMA at that point and uh, and then it kind of stemmed from there and I don't really think I had a problem at uni it was a, it was a, quite a big drug culture um, which so can I ask you why you cut it down? What, what was the? You said you, you sort of managed to cut it, cut it down. The canvas. What was telling you to cut it down? Well, I just wasn't. It it kind of rendered me useless. Um, not just at the time smoking it, like the day after, and you know, it really just kind of uh, dampened me down, and I didn't want to do anything. I was, you know, very. Um, it, it kind of just made me useless in a sense yeah so and there'd be a lot of lot of times where i'd call in sick for work you know and just stay go around to my mates and just smoke weed all, all day <clears throat> and uh just play video games and just you know escape basically and um yeah i can't re really remember the point where I think it kind of naturally happened where I moved away from my hometown to university mm -hmm. and even though obviously I, I did you know carry on smoking weed throughout uni and but like I said it kind of was up and down in waves you know I go through waves of smoking it a lot mm -hmm. and then mm -hmm. realize I wasn't getting anything done and mm -hmm. then I try and cut it back 
and then it was at university where it started to kind of dabble a little bit more with uh, with cocaine, um, and but it was it was different drugs all the time that I was that I was using at university. It wasn't always you know I was dependent on one thing. It was uh, you know we were going out pretty much every weekend, and we got to the point where we couldn't really go out without having something, uh, whether it was like pills or MDMA or cocaine. So by the time we got to university, it's a way of life? Yeah. Basically? Yeah. Um, and what happened after that? So I was at uni for three years and then I moved back to my hometown and for, I must have been about a year, I moved, I moved back in with my mate who I used to smoke a lot of weed with. So, um, but I, I can remember I was actually in a, in a good uh, place at that point and uh, I think I was quite motivated in terms of like career and... Um, and you got through university? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not with the grades that I would have wanted, but I got, I got through it. No. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was, uh, I mean, that was another part of it, I, I think. Um, I'd always never achieved what I want, wanted to achieve. Like I didn't even go to my university graduation because I was disappointed with the grades that I got. Um, so, you know, it, it was it was always holding me back. But yeah, so I, I moved moved in with my friend who I used to smoke a lot of weed with. So, and I think we, uh, it's quite a long time ago now. I'm feeling quite old now because it's quite a long time ago, but. Um, feeling. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, at that point, I don't think there was there was that big of a problem. Then I moved in to uh, a house share with two other mates, um, and that house was just a. I don't know how to put this. In, in, I mean, I wouldn't call it. I wouldn't call it a crack den. It wasn't that far, but it was very heavily, you know. Uh, based around drugs and it was it was almost like moving into a pub because um it already had a reputation of being a party house before i moved in and then you know on a saturday whether you'd ask people to or not at 12 o'clock people rocked up and and that was it for the weekend then mm -hmm. um so it was it was around i mean in the area that i lived it, it's not talked about a lot but it's a huge huge yeah. problem huge yeah. problem as it probably is in a lot of places now, and um, mm -hmm. yeah, so so it was kind of the envi environment that I was surrounded by, um, and I mean, I don't know if I should say this or not. I don't know if it'll get me into trouble, but I did go through a stage of, of uh, I was buying like big quantities of it and, and selling it uh, to like just friends, the, our group of friends and stuff. I quickly realised that was a bad idea and stopped doing that. But, um, you know, even at that point, I could actually have a good quantity of it in my room and uh, I knew I didn't have the problem that I've had in the past couple of years because I mean, I could leave it. I, I didn't have to, you know, sure. yeah, I wouldn't have kind of a binging problem with it whatsoever at that right. point. Uh, but it was, at the same time, I couldn't go out. I couldn't really socialise with, without it. And uh, yeah, so 
I was def I've been around drugs for <laughs> quite a long time, and so it's quite normalised. Do you know what I mean? And in terms in terms of my friend group and the people I I, I kind of grew up around, for a long time, like I was very tame compared to the, a lot of them. Um, you know, I, I actually set down some firm ground rules with myself in terms of like, I wouldn't do this or I wouldn't do that. Um, probably because I knew what would happen if uh, if I did go to the next drug or the next stage, you know what I mean? So, um, but yeah, so it was always there around, I was kind of using it on a regular basis. Um, I just had no idea that the power of it and you know what it could lead to for for me um in terms of like you said at first it was it was solution to me absolutely know? um it did help me out in, in a very strange way but obviously not in the long term but it's such an important point mm -hmm. and if we miss that point then we're often uh, falling into this sort of trap of, uh, you know, seeing it as some sort of, you know, the demon alcohol or whatever drug it is, you know, mm. and uh, we, we set up this incredible conflict mm -hmm. that's that's self-loathing and all of that stuff gets mm -hmm. in. When did you, uh, when would you say that you started to really think of it as a problem that you couldn't handle or that you weren't really on top of? For me, the first... I didn't realise it then, but if I look back now, I think that the, the time it became a problem is when I started doing it on my own, um, and I was doing it isolated. And I'd actually avoid doing it while I was out, you know. So I so I had it when I I had more when I came back, and um, yeah, I, I was I was using it as a obviously a form of escape and. Uh, you know, but, but I think that's when that's when I realised it was a big problem. It wasn't just me doing it because we, we were going out and it was a social thing. It was, you know, I was kind of shutting myself off from the world. So we've got to a point of isolation, mm -hmm. heavier using, personal stuff, and uh, you're start. It's starting to impinge. It's starting to have an effect that you didn't like. Mm -hmm. Right, so the solution starts to become a problem. Mm -hmm. Right, and what do you remember? What you tried, or what you what your your brain told you to do next? I think I don't know. I, I was I was in um, I, I was in a complete state of denial for a long long period of time, and I, because I was doing it on my own, no one really knew that. I had a problem or that there was a problem beginning to arise, even people who were very close to me, I kept it very, very well hidden. And I think I was almost hiding it from myself that um it, it wasn't it wasn't a problem and if, if I needed to I could I could get a hold of it at any point. But I think where I really started to notice it getting really bad was even a day after I'd had, you know, a binge on it when I was feeling terrible. You know, I'd want it again, and uh, which was unusual because usually, in the past, if I felt terrible the next day, it was I, I couldn't think of anything worse for for at least the next week. <clears throat> you know, this is a classic 
uh, description or definition of addiction mm -hmm. uh, that uh, really quite traditional the idea that when something becomes the solution and the problem at the same time yeah you you've got a real problem yeah um, because you obviously you're heading towards the very thing that's the worst thing and you know yeah um, and the fact you're isolated uh, you can see that that is already you're hiding it uh, and you're hoping somebody doesn't know and, and you know you're almost denying it from yourself mm -hmm. okay what happens next so yeah what do, I'm trying to think what I tried first but for a long time I think it was just I would I would be in this cycle where I think the first thing I tried actually was I thought I need I need to change my life I need to you know um, get out of the job that I was in because I think I blamed a lot of it on being stuck in a job that I've been in for a long time and uh, I was like right I need to do something different so I did I basically quit my job um, I well split up with the the girlfriend I had at the time. Uh, or, or it came to an end. I say I split up. But she split up with me because of uh, because of this issue. But um, so I think that was my first step. I thought I'm gonna, you know, sort myself out basically. And um, to an extent, I did. I was still I was still binging on it. I'd say maybe twice a week at that point. But I managed to um, get myself a job in Manchester, or near Manchester, um, and. And it was definitely a step up, and it took me away from the area. I've not even thought about this until now, actually. But I think that was obviously my first kind of I need to get out of this. Um, yeah. Instead of changing you, yeah, change the circumstances. Yeah. Because either it's her fault, their fault. Yeah. Uh, and then you find it doesn't work. Yeah, I was just constantly looking at outwards at things I could change, and it. Every time it, it worked temporarily, um, but yep. what <laughs> what I obviously didn't realise is I was moving from a rural place where uh, it was easy enough to get hold of stuff to a city that is probably renowned for you yep. know um, drugs and how quick you can get them. And going from being able to get it within a couple of hours, I could get it within you know ten fifteen minutes. So that quickly. Um, after the novelty of the job kind of wore off um, and even then I was still using and still binging like at least once a week um, after the novelty of that wore off um, you know it, it soon started to creep back in uh, and then the next big thing to happen was uh, lockdown which I think it was a problem before that point but that obviously and I'm guessing this is a um, a thing for a lot of people um, a lot of people will probably relate to this maybe not with drugs but with other things maybe food and uh, the weight but um, the situation I was in during lockdown <clears throat> or I'd allowed myself to get into uh, really exacerbated things and I had um, income and nothing to nothing to do <laughs> So, or a lot of time on my hands. So it just progressively got worse and worse and it got to a point where I was, I was you know, some weeks doing it four times, you know, four or five times a week and only having a couple of nights off it. 
Now, at this, at this point, people are noticing you can't really hide it mm -hmm. anymore. When we first met, uh, I, you know, there was a very concerned mum, a very concerned girlfriend, mm -hmm. you know, and that's where we started. Yeah. How did you come to this? Did you, did you have any sort of hope or any sort of... What was it? What was your situation? Yeah, so... It's weird because I think for a long time I, I was convinced that I could deal with it myself mm. yeah. um, and it only came to a point where I realised I needed to get help with it um, when my girlfriend at the time, um, I mean I hated her at the time for it but looking back now it's probably the, the one thing that actually changed the course of my life so I'll, I'll always, you know, be forever grateful for actually doing it. Now I look back, and I've I have said this to to her as well, um, that she told told my family. Sorry about that. That's my alarm. Mm -hmm. Let's put the bins out. <laughs> um, she told uh, she told my family about the problem because uh, she'd been hiding it for me for uh, quite a while before that point. And yeah, um, so it was out then. Um, and I couldn't hide from it. Um, I couldn't hide from, you know, what I was, the effects that it was having on, on my girlfriend at the time. And, you know, it was a horrific moment, you know, in my, in my life. And, um, but it needed to happen. And I, I attempted I still don't believe, I still think I didn't believe I needed help at that point. With, mm. I, I knew I needed to sort it out, but I still believed that I could do it myself. So I was, um, I obviously needed to do something. And I think what I was doing at first was just looking as though I was, you know, getting external help and still believing that I could do it myself and not actually fully committing to that external help. And I, I, I went to, um, I went through the NHS, I think, at first, and uh, or some sort of uh, charity um, called, I think it was called Step Change. And to be fair to them, you know, um, they're working on minimal resources. It was it was once a week, and uh, and I would say it had an effect. I'm not going to say it didn't. Um, I, I was given some like tools, you know, to, to try and help me, but it was it was very much just a plaster on things, and me just ticking a box to to go back to my family and girlfriend and say yes, I'm you know I'm still doing it. this. Tick the box. Yeah. And I mean NHS. I'm assuming it was a kind of a disease model or medical model. Yeah, I, I can't remember fully what how it worked but I had a meeting once a week and we just kind of went through the week and I, I think it was I don't know if it was the NHS actually I think it was like a separate charity um, but I mean <laughs> it was quite obvious the woman didn't really want to be doing what I mean there was a couple of instances she not that she didn't want to be doing that but I think she maybe uh, wasn't fully enjoying the role that she had at that job, so she was kind of ticking boxes as, as I was ticking boxes, mm -hmm. it felt like. Yeah. Um, and I was also trying at the same time, you know, trying to 
again probably show that I was doing something um, whilst maybe at the same time at this point starting to realise that I needed some extra help with it and I I don't think it was my idea I think it was um, my girlfriend at the time she um, suggested going to cocaine anonymous meetings yeah, yeah. so um, that was an experience <laughs> I mean I I'm trying to remember the first one that I went to, but it was it was one in in Manchester, kind of in the centre of Manchester, in a in a boxing gym, and um, it was a very I can't think of the right word to use for it, but a very conflicting experience for me personally, um, <clears throat> because I sat in this meeting and obviously I didn't didn't speak because it was the first first time I've been to one and kind of just took everything in and uh, the there was a few things that I noticed about it and and firstly was that some of these people have been there for over 30 years been going to these meetings for over 30 years and that I think that instantly kind of I was like I don't I don't I don't want to be going to meetings I want to I want my life back basically and it wasn't just that they'd been there for 30 years but some of these guys looked miserable absolutely miserable i was like i i don't i don't they were whether they were just miserable because they were there and, and you know i'm not saying they were mis miserable throughout the rest of their life but at that point at that moment they did not want to be at that meeting but it was like they believed that if they didn't go to that meeting yes then they would just slip back into old ways and it was a fear there was i remember speaking to a guy i mean yeah. I, I obviously i you know, um, I'm, I'm not going to kind of name names or even say specifics, but you know, he, he, but the fear in his eyes and the maybe fear is not not the word, but um, he kind of been coming for quite a long time, done so well, and then fallen off, and and he just looked desperate, absolutely desperate, and. Uh, but it did work for, for obviously I can't deny that it does work and it, and it did work for a lot of these people mm. at these meetings but for me personally it sent me the opposite way and I was forcing myself to go to these meetings because I had to I had to if I wanted to um, yeah. keep my relationship going and you know um, not completely lose contact with my family you know my, my life was falling apart so you know, I, I I was going to it, but it was actually sending me the other way. My my use got worse at one point through going to those CA meetings because I was like, and I don't want to speak badly of them because they do help a lot of people. But I'm just talking from my own personal personal experience. I think that it part some part of my brain just said I'd rather just be you know. If if this is the other option, and I've got to be at these meetings for the next thirty years, and I know not everyone does that. Some people probably you know go through it and then leave, and, and they're absolutely fine. But this was just in my head. Mm. Um, I was like, I'd rather just carry on the path that I'm going on. I mean, it, I can see what you're describing. It you, different pressures were being added, not not taken away. Mm -hmm. There was there were different pressures now being added, mm -hmm. and you looked in that meeting and you kind of saw a future that you didn't want. Yeah. Well, that's enough. Mm -hmm. You know, whether 
you got a good view of that or whatever your view was, that was your view, right? And so many people that I speak to are in that similar position where they think, well, this is my only option and I don't want it. Now, you, now you're in a difficult place. Yeah, the, the one thing I will say about the CA meetings, the one really good thing that I got from it was, was it was the first time that I'd actually been, when, when it, I did decide to speak in one of the meetings, it was the first time that I actually was fully honest yeah. about anything. Um, so that must have been very therapeutic. Yes, yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's definitely something I, I, I took from that. And that's probably a, a small reason why I kept going at it and kept trying. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a very, very interesting experience, which I think initially I thought was going to help. And then after going to a few meetings, I realised that it was it was definitely for me personally was sending me the opposite way. So I don't know how close we are now to when we met, mm -hmm. but maybe say something about what that was like and and what was different about that. Well, before we spoke, and I'm not just saying this, but genuinely. I, I couldn't see a way out. I was like I was looking for, you know, looking for options, and just the more options I went through and it didn't work, the less hope that I had, and it just kept disappearing and disappearing. And uh, I was completely lost because just nothing that I did really spoke to me and uh, really g gave me the the outcome that I was looking for which was my you know um, to be able to get get through it to be able to get rid of the, the need for, for drugs and, and actually you know then move on with my life you know and actually progress forward with my life and not just be stuck at the same point where you just all you are is a recovered drug addict mm. that has to keep going back to meetings otherwise you will fall back into, mm. into mm -hmm. old habits and uh, and nothing I looked at, you know, I just didn't believe it was out there at that point. And it was only when, in fact, it's quite interesting because my, I was I went to visit my mum the other day, and uh, she was telling me the story of how she actually got uh, in, in touch with you. And she said the whole circumstance was um, particularly weird because she works for a children's charity, and she was. Uh, meeting someone at work and she'd obviously only just found out about uh, my problem I'd hit, I, I thought everyone knew but obviously not absolutely nobody knew I was always paranoid that everyone knew but uh, even people who were really close to me didn't and she was in a meeting and just ended up breaking, breaking down in, in the meeting and uh, it was that person that she broke down to that actually had your number and uh, then she contacted you and obviously, she, you know, she knows me pretty well. And I think she knew from speaking to you that um, it would be a good option. And I actually put it, put it off for quite a while because there was still this stubbornness that I, I had to be the one that found, you know, my, my solution, which I think is what held, held me back quite a bit as well from, from actually, um, you know, making some progress with it. But yeah. And then we had the first call, and I think the first thing that spoke to me is it was 
based on scientific research and it it was just completely different to everything else that I'd, I'd looked at and everything else that I'd read and it was yeah it was refreshing for a start and, and it it just flipped everything the other way and uh, and you were saying things to me that I knew some part of me knew deep down I can't really explain I'm maybe not um, going to explain this very well so that anyone understands it but there was just a lot of the things you said um, just hit hit a um, hit a you know a nerve in a good way with me um, and there were things that I knew in terms of I'm thinking of an example of you know the way society views people with addiction and the way society deals and the, the kind of med the issue with the kind of medical model M my mum also being a nurse and coming through that <laughs> whole system uh, she was obviously completely you know under that um, way of thinking or with that way of thinking yeah. which made it quite difficult to start off with um, but yeah I think I've always been very interested in uh, the human brain and I think that's definitely a reason why I, I, it, it spoke to me um, and just uh, I think also not that it was just all about recovery that recovery was part of it ah I think that's, no one had said that to me yet, it was like, the only thing you need to do is get off drugs, that's it. Because that's the demon, and that's the, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And then, so, when you spoke to me, obviously, it was, I think, I remember you saying that, um, you know, it's it's 50% recovery and 50% life coaching, and, and it was that, I was like, that's what I want, I want to get, obviously, get to a point where I'm not reliant on drugs to get through life and then start to achieve the things that I've I've always wanted to achieve that the drugs have you know so you saw a better future yes 100%. It's, it's, it, it, now you're saying well that's something I can yeah get into mm -hmm. uh, and I've I, you know I've always uh, thought of it that way mm -hmm. because it feels to me having worked in rehabs for years and done this I've done it for nearly 40 years now and and the idea that you know, you have this intense relationship of really sort of drawing alongside somebody and helping them and uh, really under knowing about their life and everything. Mm -hmm. And then they say, right, I'm recovering now. See you later. Uh, it just feels like too early. It feels like it's the wrong time mm -hmm. because you've invested in that relationship to such an extent. And what are we doing with this recovery? Right? What, what, what's, what's good about it? Well, mm -hmm. it's what you do next. Mm -hmm. Right? And to me, you know, when we talk about building recovery, you know, if I say one of the biggest problems I, I saw in rehab, I worked in rehabs for years, and we would see people coming in and, you know, having detox to them and, and giving them a bit of therapy for a few weeks, maybe after a, a, maybe a month in, in the treatment center, they would be itching to get out and, and achieve and do this and do that, right? And what I'd be trying to say to them is, look, are you sure that what you're talking about building is yours? Right? Have you, have you understood this well enough so that you're not going to go out and build your dad's house or your mum's house mm -hmm. or your mate's house or 
some kind of theoretical thing you're following that says, this is what my life should look like, right? Because what I understood was it has to be yours. Mm. If, if you build somebody else's recovery, you're going to resent living in it and you're going to tear it down. Yeah, I, th- I think that was definitely... Um, that It rings so true because... The, the point where my life was or where I was in, in the situation in my life where I was trying to recover I think that was a part of it I think what I um, what I was recovering back into the life that I was recovering back into wasn't the what I had decided on I hadn't created that it was you know and I'm not saying anything bad about anyone else but I, I'd allowed myself to get into that situation and I think that's that's why when we first started i saw an improvement when we were doing intense sessions for the first month i saw a very fast improvement and i was like this is this is working and then i think looking back now what happened is i i, I kind of started to lapse more um when we after the first intense month uh, the lapsing came back in quite quick and i think part of that was um i kind of had a sneak I'd had like a um, a peek into my recovered life as it was yeah and it wasn't what I wanted no so I just went straight back to my solution <laughs> that, that I've used you know you were try- you were trying your best and and this is where our brain continues to intervene because mm-hmm. it feels that we're threatened mm-hmm. and so I can see there's still a threat there mm-hmm. right and for me, this is all part and parcel of this idea of, you know, traditionally like the demon drink. You know, when we focus too tightly and too specifically on this is the problem. Mm-hmm. Well, what are we trying to say? The rest of our lives are perfect or something. Mm-hmm. On the contrary, how did we get into that problem, mm-hmm. right? And how are we going to get out of it and end up in the right place for us? So many of my clients... Uh, end up developing their business or developing their career path you know and for me it's all part and parcel of the same thing Mm. right if we say you know like we used to in traditional rehabs you know we would get somebody in we would detox them we'd clean up their act we'd uh, you know knock them about a bit in therapy and get them you know scrubbing the toilets or something and we'd send them out clean and scrubbed and sober and we'd say we've done a great job you see but we hadn't changed anything about their life they, we were just dropping them back into the same relationships the same situation right and it's frustrating for me right because to me that's half a job and to me that's why I always think of this as long term even though obviously we uh you know, we slacken off and we kind of, we don't, you know, it's not as intense as it was at the beginning. We're, we're trying to keep someone on the same, on the right track. But we're also learning about what track is that. Mm-hmm. Right? Let's make sure this is your design, not somebody else's. And I know that, uh, I don't know how much you want to go into that, but that was a big deal for you. Mm-hmm. As it is for everybody in recovery, mm-hmm. Right? you had to somehow, and I can't do it, and I can't even put that case in front of you. I have to, find, I have to wait for you mm-hmm. to say, uh, mm, this is not where I want to be, this is not what I want to do, mm-hmm. uh, and things changed. Yeah, 
I think, yeah, it, it was, it was very difficult because like you said, I'd, I'd get a glimpse of recovery and then I'd realize the position that I was in and probably realize without knowing it, what I needed to do to actually progress and just hiding away and taking drugs was a much easier option. <laughs> you know, we slipped straight back. 100%. Right? Yeah. Because it's less scary than the other option. Yeah. Right? But this is, you know, to me, and I want you to say something about this, because to me this is one of the most valuable aspects of this approach. Because you're already at home. You're not in a residential place. You don't have to send you home because you're already at home. So if, when, when we would talk on the phone, and you would say, well, you know, I slipped up at the weekend or I used this or I've used that. At that point, we're saying, uh, okay, let, what, what can we learn from that? Right? I think, I think that was probably one of the hardest things for me about this process. Even though I wasn't in a rehab centre and there was no, like you said, there was no issue with me being sent home if I lapsed. I still found it really, really difficult, very, very difficult to even admit that I had lapsed. Even to you who had told me that it's it's fine, it's no problem. Like, and I, I, you know, I'll admit this now, in those early stages, there were times that I had lapsed and I hadn't told you about it. You didn't always say. Yeah. Right? So. Um, and that's, that's how hard it is. Mm -hmm. Even in a relationship that is contextualized by uh, no pressure, no judgment. Mm -hmm. So you see how hard this stuff is. Even though we set that up, and I'm, I'm I'm used to setting it up that way. I do it every time, right? And yet I can still see how hard it is for people to be honest because getting out of that medical way of thinking, right? And remember that guilt, shame, embarrassment, all of that judgment stuff is a massive layer of protection mm -hmm. because it, it's, an it's, a, it's a flight part. Mm -hmm. It gets you escape because, you, because there's things you, only you know. Mm-hmm. Right, it's yeah. very hard to give that up. Yeah, 100%. I think I think it was it was only after, I'd, I'd say I only became, and this is probably why one of the reasons why my recovery and, and to actually stop fully took so long is because it probably took me about six or seven months to get to being 100% honest and 100% open and being able to talk about everything. Um, it's not an easy thing. Yeah. It's not an easy thing, but the the thing I would always say about it is that when we look at things like the lapses and the you know the struggles, once you get the idea that that's where we learn the most, right? Yeah. Once you get that, yeah. then you become unstoppable. Yeah, and I think I've been conditioned into into the fact that if if you lapsed, once people knew about it, they knew I was trying to stop. You know, I was conditioned into the into the way of thinking that if I lapsed, you know, I'd failed, and every time I failed, the the, the outcome got worse and worse, and the, the the options for the people around me got more severe, more severe. We need to well, right, we really need to sort them out now. This is, you know, yeah, and uh, even so, greater focus on the drug and the, yeah, and the pressure built and built because. So it made me worse. It made me lapse more. It made me. It made me hack because I, I, you know, I had no control of it. So I had no control over it whatsoever at that point. So I, 
if I lapsed, I had to hide it. I had to, and the things I would do to, you know, when I think back now, it's very hard to imagine me doing those, the sort of things that I was doing to A, hide it from people, or B, get, get it in the first place. Well, that's because it wasn't you, yeah. it was your brain. Yeah. Right? And you started to understand how to separate and unblend those things mm -hmm. from your authentic self. Would you say, because it's not true for everybody, I mean, would you say that there was a particular breakthrough moment or was there any, do you remember a time when you, when you thought, this is working? There was something, the, the only way I can describe it was from after the first call that we had before we'd even started, was almost like I'd been stuck going deeper and deeper into a tunnel and just nothing was helping and everything I was trying to do to get out just made me get further into it. And then it wasn't like I, I was thought, right, I'm going to be recovered straight away, but uh, or even that I knew for definite I was going to be recovered when I had that first call with you, but what what it did do was almost just like in a very, 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 dis in the very, very distance, just give me a little glimmer of, of light and something to, you know, it was like, mm, actually, this, this, you know, especially at first, I needed to be convinced, obviously, but there was just something about it that, Instantly, I was I was drawn to him, give me that little glimmer of hope, hope. And then I think when we when mm. we started working, it was it, again it was uh, you know at that early stage. And obviously, I understand now that I, um, what I was up against. I don't think I understood what I was up against at that point. No, and I, it was very very frustrating because a lot of the things you were saying to me. Um, I just couldn't get my head round. But the stuff that I, I was understanding, yeah. I was seeing a difference from, yeah. even if it was small. And that that what what the turning point was. It was a turning point. Instead of con the, my my um, situation getting worse and worse and worse, it was almost like it then hit a point, and then I was I was I felt like I was starting to move. Especially as I look back now, that's the point where it started to. Um, improve and I started to think that I could get out of it mm -hmm. at that point mm -hmm. um, you know I think I was probably naive and thinking I could do it very quickly at first uh, <laughs> whereas now I look back and I realise all the stuff that I need to sort out I think you know the, the fact that I understand why it took me a year or just over a year to mm -hmm. actually completely stop mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. but yeah, I think, I think it took a, quite a while for things to actually sink in and for me to actually start seeing a big difference. But I'd say that the, the first point that I, I, I noticed a difference was very, very early on, mm. where it was just that glimpse of something to work towards mm -hmm. and, and actual, a, a bit of, actually a bit of hope rather than just thinking there's, there's yes. just no way out of this. Well, it, it's a big factor for me in talking to somebody at first because what I'm trying to do is instead of saying well this is going to happen if you keep do using if you keep drinking if you keep gambling if you keep using drugs this is what's going to happen I start talking about what can happen if you stop mm -hmm. where are we going mm -hmm. what kind of life are you, are you after mm -hmm. you know and w what is it that steps in the way when you go for that life you know now 
suddenly we're we're on we're we're talking about a different thing altogether. I mean, uh, you know how how much time did we really spend talking about drugs? Not a lot. <laughs> Right. Well, very probably very briefly at the start, just to kind yeah. of you know then look back and see what had happened just before that. Um, yeah, which was yeah, I, it, like I said, it was complete. I, I knew, I, I knew there was. That I think one of the reasons why I had hope with it early on is because it was completely the opposite of everything else that I'd done. Everything else that I'd done was very similar, very kind of. Um, set up in a very similar way whereas this was you know completely different it was it wasn't that there was something wrong with me right it was the opposite it right. was that it was a, a, a system of my brain that was working very well really well yeah yeah right. and i think that instantly just made me and i was i was um intrigued by that and i think when you started talking about the neuroscience side of things instantly and in my head i think i kind of i'm very scientifically minded i'm very interested mm -hmm. in science and stuff so for you to say there is an answer mm -hmm. through evidence-based evidence -based, you know right. research and science that i was like i was bought in then and i was kind of you know keen on, on reading into it and reading up on it as much as possible well just just the idea and I can't tell you how many people have, have had their minds blown by this, by sitting there and listening to this idea mm. that this has happened to you because something's working really well. Yeah. Not because you're broken. Yeah. Not because you need fixing. Mm -hmm. Right? But because you need to understand yourself better. You need to understand why. Like, I would say to somebody, you know, if they say if they've got a little kid or a cousin or something, I'll say, look, if you thought that little child of yours was in danger, is there anything I could say to you that would stop you trying to protect them? Mm -hmm. Is there anything I could do that would say, oh, well, I'll leave them alone then? It's not going to happen, is it? Mm -hmm. See, your, your brain thinks of you being in danger. It's going to protect you in any way it can. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to stop it by thinking, by saying, oh, no, I'm, I don't want to do that anymore. It's not going to listen. We have to produce evidence. That's that's how it that's how we got it in. That's how we're going to get out. Mm -hmm. right? Your brain doesn't change when you change your mind. Mm -hmm. it, it, it needs the evidence, and so I think it's fascinating for me to talk about this period now. Once you stop, mm -hmm. and you realise that we're working with issues that are broad and complex and human. It's not about whether you take a drug or not. It's about who are you and what are you doing and how are you doing it, right? I mean, I'm sure that you would agree that you have uh, still been working with issues, even though the drug's gone. Is that fair? 100%. Right. Yeah. So talk about that. What has that been like, having, you know, post-drug? It's been, it's been eye-opening, I think, because I now realise what it was I was trying to escape from. And I think I understand... And, and I think I'm, that's where I'm kind of compassionate towards myself and my previous self in why I was using drugs to escape. Um, because I had no idea what, what I was, you know, up against. Right. Yeah. We just think that we just got to say no to drugs or something. Yeah. You know, it's not even beginning to understand what, 
you know, the history and, and what happens when your brain sees a threat? Yeah. Or is trained that there's a threat? Well, I think everyone can understand and everyone could probably relate to when they've had an uncontrollable reaction, whether it's... Yes, anger. we've all had that. Yeah. And... Everybody gets that. Yeah. And as far as I can understand, what I have done is created a path. So whenever I got these certain reactions, I had created uh, this habit and this solution and, um, you know, this path way to doing drugs that just whenever I had these normal um, human reactions, I'd instantly, without even knowing it was jumping to that, my solution would be to take drugs. And I was up, taken out of the, my, you know, conscious thought and stuff was taken out of the equation. Because it's your brain solution, yeah, right? Yeah. And your brain only has that as a solution because you've trained it to have yeah. that solution, right? Yeah, and I think that's what another part of it that was um, created conflict for me was because I'm, I'm, I've always been an independent person, priding myself, like priding myself on, on being, you know, an independent thinker and in control of my life, and and I was like, there's no way I can't control this, but that made things worse because I had no control over it at that point. Oh, you've set up a conflict that you can't win. Yeah. You know, um, anyone who's seen that film, um, The Incredibles, mm -hmm. is it The Incredibles, yeah? And you find out that they're all superheroes in the family, but Jack-Jack, the little baby, is actually the most powerful among them, and that perfectly fits the idea that our younger self, the younger these parts are, the more powerful mm -hmm. and, and basic they are, mm -hmm. you know? And as you've learned about your different parts, and not just the drug-taking part, right? Other things, you start to uh, experience a life where your brain is trusting you more and more in different situations. Mm -hmm. Maybe, I don't know if you've got a specific um, example of the first time you realised that your brain was trusting you in a situation where it would, in the past it would have intervened. Does anything? Yeah, there will be there will be lo loads of examples. Whether I can think of one right now is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't have to. But yeah, um, a lot of my triggers were coming through work, which is probably similar for a lot of people. You spend a lot of time at work. Yes. And I remember you saying to me at one point that for, for my you know particular kind of, I don't know, psychological setup, the job that I decided to go into was probably the worst job that I could possibly do. Um, yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah. So, uh, which I, I found very interesting. <clears throat> yeah. Just the fact that, you know, I picked a job that just would cause me a lot of internal issues. But, um, so yeah, I think w one particular one was speaking in front of people at work um yes i'd always get like this uncontrollable like um rush of, of nervousness very yeah, very strong, strong intervention yeah, dry mouth and like really you know something that a lot of people probably yeah. get in those in those situations yeah and um you know and, and I'd, I'd lose all, it'd, it'd be like a team meeting, like an education uh, workshop almost kind of team mm. meeting. And I'd not, you know, I have a good level of knowledge, 
but all that would just go completely. It's like an, it was like everything I yeah, take over. Yeah, yeah, everything I'd learned had just yeah. disappeared, and then I came across as just a bit of an idiot sometimes. Yeah. Um, and, and this then, is this is your field of expertise. Yes. Yeah. And then obviously, I I knew that I could be, uh, I could come across better than that. So then I'd also get instant kind of shame and guilt and judgment of like, why have you done that? You know, you or, or so it sets up a whole series yeah, of yeah, reactions. Yeah. So I think that I definitely noticed the difference with work um, and those sort of situations very quickly once I started to. Right. Obs- kind of look back at these situations that had ha- happened and, yeah. and work through them with you without judgment. Yes, just to talk and say let's let's see how much we can learn from that situation, yeah. right? Yeah, because that is something working really well. Your brain sees a threat. Yeah, that comes from way back in your life, not nothing to do with where you are at work. Yeah, right, and then protects you. Yeah, and you get the whole mindset, you get the feeling, you get the chemicals, you get everything, and then you feel bad about this, mm. right? Often that leads to judgment that, yeah. set, that, that shuts the door on it and we don't learn anything, right? But that's where all the learning can happen. Mm-hmm. That's where it did happen. And yeah, just talking about that, just reminding me of another big one. And this, I think this kind of highlights how anyone in, this, in the situation that I was in, you know, I mean, you describe it as, you describe it as, being in a, a ring with, you know, being in a boxing ring blindfolded with yeah. eight opponents, yeah. and you don't know where the punches are coming right. from. That's that's a, a really good analogy for me because before I was aware of, you know, what was causing my drug taking. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah. I, there was certain times of the day where. Uh, Originally, when we started to like just raise awareness of it, I was noticing there were certain times of the day I was, you know, um, feeling very like angry or having these certain emotions, not knowing where they come from or yes. thinking that I knew where they came yes. from. But one particular example that I'm thinking of was whenever we get a new person in at work, our work is it's very competitive. It's almost like a sales environment. Oh, sure. And uh, the real world, yeah. And whenever we had a new trainer come in, um, I, I pinpointed that as a as a definite trigger. Um, yeah. Just through, like you said, observing the, you feel the feelings that I was getting, yeah. and then seeing what, and, and it was always the same. Whenever we got a new trainer in, yeah, it just completely. We're looking for out of proportion yeah. reactions. Yeah. That's the thing. That's where we want to focus yeah but we have to remove the judgment and the shame and embarrassment or anything else mm-hmm. in order to create what the educational people call a good learning environment yeah yeah right mm-hmm. now what happens then is you have the experience that so many people are having which is you find out how easy it is for your authentic self to do these things mm-hmm that you maybe thought was really, really hard to do, mm-hmm. right? But when you're, when, when it's you doing it, how easy is it, mm-hmm. right? And everything accelerates that process, everything builds, uh, compound sense, you know, the more your brain trusts you, the more your brain trusts you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so it builds until now, you're doing lots of things, yeah. which in the past, 
you would have said either avoided, denied, found very difficult. Well, yeah, or I wouldn't be, I wouldn't get these opportunities for, for quite, you know, quite a few of the things that have happened to me recently. Um, I'd maybe have the opportunity yes. and mess it up. Yeah. Uh, through lapsing or you know something from lapsing Um, or I just wouldn't have the opportunity in the first place because I wouldn't be seen as someone who is reliable enough for it you see that's so exciting to me yeah right because you're talking now about the other side of being blindfolded in a boxing ring it's not just that you don't know where the next blow's coming from you've got no target no you don't know you don't know what to hit Mm -hmm. right now when you're starting to be trusted by your brain Mm -hmm. It means that you authentically can go into situations and get what you want out of it, mm. right? And that is, to me, that's like, now I've got a target, mm. right? I'm not just being held back or, you know, blindfolded. I don't really know what to do in a situation, you know? So, to me, that is real liberation. Yeah. And so much more than I've stopped taking drugs. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, and, and I, I was just thinking actually, so, I, so I'm a personal trainer and uh, um, so I work with quite a few clients who are obviously looking to improve their health and it was, yes. it was only today that, and, and I think, I don't know why, but and I, this has just kind of come to me as, as we were talking about it because I think going back to your point about, you know, um, there's no success or failure so if you're you're someone who's got this problem and um you're working with yourself you know if you do laps there's no kind of sending you home or it's not seen as a failure no exactly um and i think that's i'm starting to see these things come out working with my own clients and that's another area that i'm seeing fascinating um, so it's not just me that's benefiting from this. Like I had one, a client that's been with me for a long time. She's really, really struggled. I've done everything I can with her, mm. uh, and she's really, really struggled. Needs to get her weight down because mm. she's got you know um, health issues, health diabetes problems, yeah. and stuff. And uh, <clears throat> she'd only sent me a message today, to, to, and she's she's starting to make progress now. She has over the past four weeks, and she just sent me a message today to say you know thanks for not giving up on me. Um, because and I think that's what happens in uh, not just with people like that, but especially in, in with addicts. Yes. yes, and it's almost designed that way. Yeah, uh, you know, following the same pattern. Yeah, um, but I again, you know, terrific the idea that we uh, we come to this sort of idea. We start to digest it, we start to approach it, we start to use it, we start to benefit from it, and then we start to use it with others in relationship mm-hmm. or in your work. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, I love that idea. Mm-hmm. I, I think of it as, um, you know, we drop, a, we drop a pebble in the in, in the pond and the ripples just go out. 100%. You know, yeah. when one person changes their lifestyle to this extent, everybody benefits around you. Yeah. That's something else I've noticed is, you know, what I thought, you know, what I was looking for from uh, from this and what I was, when I was very first, you know, the, the very first point where I knew I needed help and what I think I was 
looking for was not just to be recovered from drugs but then also to go on and, and progress with my life but what I've got from it that I didn't realize I would have got is that you know now I've worked through the issues the you know the cracks and stuff in, in mm. my life and I've worked through those you know I'm actually enjoying things that I haven't enjoyed for years do you know what I mean I'm you know I'm enjoying my work again um, and that's obviously having an effect on on my clients and you know I, it's not I, I was at a point where I was every week felt exactly the same and now you know I'm, I feel like I've, I've got off the carousel and I'm moving I'm moving forward again and yeah I can't explain how good that feels well once we get rid of this what Rudyard Kipling called these two imposters of you know success and failure you know triumph and disaster as he called them mm -hmm. you know then things open up you know so if you met somebody who was in trouble in some way like this or you was considering something like this what do you think you would say to them what what would your advice be well it's interesting you say that because I've had um, a couple of instances of that already and it, it's very difficult. It's a very, very difficult situation because I feel as though because people know I've been through this process, they're almost, they're almost, it's, it's a very difficult thing to explain. They're almost, I can almost see them thinking that I'm judging them for it. And, sure. You know, it's, I can imagine how difficult your job is to make people not feel judged because it is it's just an argument. <laughs> you just get a little taste of that. Yeah, I remember that be, like, being yeah. in that same situation. So, yeah. you know, um, I've already passed your number on to a few mm. people and just mm -hmm. said, you know, I'm not saying I think you need it, but if you ever get to, just from things you've said to me, it's, sure. it's, it's, it's very weird that, you know, um, that it's like people are telling you because they, they want help. Sure. But at the same time, yeah. you can see the conflict. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I would say to anyone, if you're thinking about it, you know, just just have a chat with you because that's what... Yeah. That was, like I said, at the, the, yeah. the, at the beginning of this, that was a turning point for me. Just just that first, not, not even signing up, that first... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, the consultation and just hearing about the process mm -hmm. um, and yeah. how it would work for me and I, w I would say just you know um, that's all you need to do because I think once you've done that you won't look back yes yes I am very keen on this because that's why in our four stages of recovery as I understand them the first stage is preparation mm-hmm you know, if, if we're using the metaphor of building a house, you, people don't walk into an estate agent and look at a photograph and say, I'll have that one. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot, I think about how much goes into when you decide to commit mm -hmm. to that sort of thing. Well, that's what I like people to think about before committing to this. Mm -hmm. And to say, uh, for instance, to start appreciating what, how much your brain has protected you. Mm -hmm. And to say, well, uh, you know, are you are you ready to give certain things up? Are you ready to? Because you know, if you if if you commit to buying a house, that's a for for, for most people that's a twenty five year commitment. You know, to mm -hmm. saying um, that's where some of my most of my money is going to go now. And 
And I think that preparation um, is such an important part of the process. Mm -hmm. Instead of assuming, well, drugs are the problem, so we know what the problem is, and you need to stop, and let's get started. You know, uh, that's that's not even we've not even begun to look at a human life at that point. Mm -hmm. So, what's this been like talking about this stuff? Interesting, yeah, it, it's good actually because I don't think I've recently stopped and reflected on no where where I'm at. What the story is. Yeah, the whole story. You know, I, I'm always kind of um, reflecting through my days and stuff, and and, and staying on on top of uh, staying on top of things, so things don't build up like they have done in over you know twenty five years. But um, yeah, it's it's been good to kind of talk about my story from from the start to this point where I'm at now, and I feel as though things are just getting better and better, faster and faster at the minute. Um, you know, I'm throwing myself into situations that I know are gonna trigger me now, instead of, you know, having to avoid those situations. And uh, it's it's not easy, it really isn't easy, but, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's, <laughs> I can't explain how, how good it is. Differences. Yeah, and, and one of the things I've found very weird about this which I wasn't expecting, uh, but I, I remember, so it took me, I started in December 21, and it was only, um, it took me a full year, because it was January the, 20, the 20th of January this year, 2023, where I've actually stopped and not lapsed since. Mm -hmm. And the strangest thing about it is that I knew it was coming, I knew I was, I, I, I could felt, I still didn't have any control over my lapsing at that point, but I felt it was, there was, uh, it was coming to the time where I would end up stopping. And then all of a sudden, and it wasn't just like it happened by magic, it was obviously all the underneath work that I was yes. doing. Yeah. And Agreed. all of a sudden, the urges, I mean, my urges were like a, a 10, a 10 mm. out of 10, and all of a sudden woke up one day and it just gone. Your brain was trusting. You. Yeah. Alright. And I've not had to I've not had to fight any urges. I've not had to I'm not in battle with it anymore. It is, you know, now I have, you know, reactions and feelings and stuff and mm. uh, I have to feel it. But well, I think you've got to where where you wanted. Yeah. Originally, which is to say I need to take responsibility for this. Yeah. I need to sort this out. Mm -hmm. And what this is doing, what, what neuroscience has helped us with so much, is to give you the tools to be able to do that for yourself. Yeah. And that's where I'm aiming all the time. Yeah. It's to say, well, here's the tools now. Let's work together. Let's learn about them. Let's mm -hmm. learn how to use them. Right? And off you go. Mm -hmm. Right? And it's, it's real life. Things disappoint us. Things go wrong. Mm -hmm. Right? But we are in a process of progress that is unstoppable at that point, mm -hmm. right? Because we're learning from everything. Yeah. Okay? So I want to say a massive well done. It's just been a fascinating thing to work with you. And I know we're going to do some more. Mm -hmm. And I know that the story isn't at the end. Definitely not. Uh, but it's just been an amazing thing to, to watch. I feel totally privileged in my job 
to actually see this kind of transformation. So I want to say a massive thank you for just doing this and for talking today. Mm. And uh, yeah, let's, uh, you know, onwards and upwards. Yeah, I'm just thankful there is, you know, people like you around to, you know, help us help us out of these impossible situations. Well, you know, I, honestly, I feel like I'm learning to, mm -hmm. you know, and mm -hmm. I think that's, that's how it has to be. Yeah. You know, I, I feel as if whenever I start something like this, every person is unique. And so I have to learn about them and I have to learn what works for them and so on. So... I feel as if the challenge is for, for both, but that's what keeps it fascinating and, uh, you know. So, uh, yeah, I, I always look forward to the next one. I can imagine. Well, thank you very much, Dave. Honestly, it's, it's absolutely changed my life. And that's, yeah, the, the only last thing I would say is, it is obviously now difficult that I have to, I can't just hide from my, mm. uh, patch up, you know, these feelings that I've got that would be seen as bad, but now I'm actually willing to face them and deal with them. Deal with them. It actually means that I can experience the the good feelings and actually feel them. Whereas before, everything was just flat, yeah. and I didn't really have any enjoyment in life whatsoever. And that's the biggest thing for me is that I'm actually enjoying life again. And uh, yeah, I can't thank you enough. That's honestly. tremendous. It, you're talking about genuine progress mm. and that's what makes all the difference.